Welcome to Patriots Nation UK, brought to you by me, your host, Matt Inkster. Hey, how's it going guys and welcome to another episode of Patriots Nation UK. I am your host at Matt Inkster on Twitter and I write at PatriotsNationUK.com. This is just a quick intro from myself for this episode today. Um, It's quite a long one. You'll have maybe seen the title, Who is the Guest? So I'm not going to hang about too long chatting anything um, for this episode for now. So, just a quick bit of housekeeping before we get going. Uh, remember to rate, review and subscribe. Um, I want to give a shout out to the new listener in Ireland from Leinster. Hopefully you've um, subscribed and you're listening to this episode and listening back to previous episodes as well. So, shout out to yourself, shout out to listeners in Spain, uh, Canada, Denmark and of course Britain and our cousins in the United States of America. So uh, that is pretty much it, guys. The only other thing I want to say is, you know, for the listener in Ireland or anyone else listening to this, just pass on the podcast. I learned this from another podcast I listened to, and it's a thing where, that can maybe catch on with the, the people in Patriots Nation UK. Um, is just pass on. And if you like what you're listening to, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And tell your friends. If you tell one friend, they tell another, tell another, tell another. You get the gist. So without further ado, we'll pass on to this week's, or this episode, because you're going to get another, maybe one or two bonus episodes this week. So this episode's guest um, is coming up for you right now. So welcoming me today is someone who may not sound like a British institution, but to many NFL fans... Um, like myself, he is a British institution, just like Corgis, Big Ben, Edinburgh Castle, you name it, the you know, you can pick out Britain. And he's someone from his work on Channel Four and Channel Five, the BBC and beyond. He is Mike Carlson. How's it going, Mike? Well, it was going pretty well till I got compared to a Corgi. Mm, well, <laughs> maybe a bad comparison, I guess, but you know, it's a Yeah, but you know to, as I say you to yeah, you're an institution to myself and probably to many fans of my age and a bit older. They, you know, we've been listening to yourself um, through, as I say, through Channel 4, Channel 5 days and to the um, more present times for, it must be 20 plus years now. And, and if you include the NFL Europe days as well, I guess. Yeah, I had this one moment um, when Nick Calling and I were doing what was then World League of American Football and we were having breakfast uh, on game day somewhere. And, you know, and Nick said, oh, is this great? Isn't this a lot of fun? And I said, yeah, you know, and I had just basically turned freelance in around 1994. And I said, you know, if I can get five years out of this, I'd be really happy. So I've basically been doing it one way or another for 25 years. Um, uh, broadcasting NFL, some college games, NFL Europe, uh, which I really did love, and uh, some European games as well. So, you know, I just think I'm really lucky to have been able to do that because it really is, you know, great fun. And the only thing that could be better is if I were working for someone year round and then 
all the time. I, I waste looking at tape and <laughs> doing research and stuff like that. I could actually be paid for. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's um, uh, getting a, a salary at the end of it rather than, you know, hustling like you you are. But yeah, I, for, to my mind and eyes, you're good at hustling. So long may it continue. Yeah, well, let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> but how did you get into it all? Was it something you did through um, college and university or was it just something that you stumbled into once upon a time? Well, I mean, I played football in college um but uh to be honest i was quite happy to give it up after my last year of college uh although i went to graduate school a couple years later at mcgill and somehow they found out through the admissions process i assume that i had played um in college and i was i someone came over and invited me to play for the mcgill redmen um but at that point i was what three years out of college uh and i had played a couple of the summer years of summer league lacrosse in the meantime, but otherwise I, you know, just not being in football shape as it were wanting to go back. I passed up on that, but what happened with the work was um, in my work. When I came here, I started with UPI United press with their television news agency, which was run jointly with ITN. And from them, I went to ABC sports um, in London doing all of ABC's European events uh, in a sort of executive come fixer kind of role. And then I went to um, work for Major League Baseball for a while. But the good thing about baseball was that they actually allowed me to moonlight. And that turned out to be lucky, lucky because I had Baseball had done a deal with Screen Sport, the late lamented Screen Sport, to do baseball games. And I went in after the season was over and had a meeting with their executive producer and the producer of the baseball, who were called George Black and George Green. It was like a Tarantino movie before Tarantino. <laughs> and um, I asked, you know, what we could do to help them out to, to make next year's program better. And the first thing they said was, could you find us a better announcer? And I said, well, I listened and, and this guy, Nick, who turned out to be Nick Halling, um, is pretty good. You know, he seems to. No, oh, no, no, no. We, we want the color guy, you know, who was a, an American guy who was like a, a sort of British um, baseball softball fiend. And um, so I said, well, I'll see what I could do. And I I looked around and, you know, asked for their budget and stuff. And they really wanted to bring someone over from the States, but they didn't have the money to pay for it because they were talking about the whole season basically. And um, so it came to naught, but then um, they said, well, um, do you think you could do it? And I had done little bits when I worked for UPI, um, but nothing, nothing serious broadcasting. And I said, I called my boss and he said, well, you know, there's, there's not a no moonlight. Yeah, you might as well. It'll be helping us. And so I told them, yeah. And this was probably around November baseball season starts in April. And in December, George Green calls me up and says, could you do an audition for us? And I said, yeah, I guess if you want. And he, I said, uh, when? He said, well, we've got this basketball tournament in Harlem in the Netherlands. I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, it starts on uh, Boxing Day. <laughs> yeah. And could you do the whole tournament? <laughs> so basically, I did six days of color commentary on basketball. Um, 
as an as a quote unquote audition. And then we did the baseball and and that went fine. And and a couple of years later, oh no, sorry, that wasn't a couple of years later. It was um the second year, second season of uh, WLAF. Screen Sports started doing that, it, which included doing the Monarchs games live at Wembley. And so Nick Hauling said, you played football in college, right? And I said, yeah. So we, we wound up doing that. And that was my start. And then when the then the World League went into abeyance for a couple of years and it came back and I was doing it on Sky with Nick. And um, again, because he told the producer that he had done it with me on uh, Screen Sport. And from there, I, I went on to Sky's NFL for just a year. But in that case, I was hosting it, which was very strange because um, not that I didn't have any hosting experience, which I didn't, but that didn't matter because it, it turned out to be perfectly easy enough to do. But because I was asking Nick or other British people the, the questions to which I often thought that I had better answers <laughs> than they did. And Nick and I kind of laughed about that a lot. But then um, then Kevin gave, Kevin Cadle gave up basketball coaching to go full-time as an announcer, and Sky hired him full-time. So they gave him that show, the only problem being then they didn't bother to tell me. Um, so I found out sort of at the last minute. And uh, luckily for me, that was the year Channel 5 came along to pick up the late-night games. And uh, so I got in touch with them, and after a bit of, you know, a bit of waiting and wondering. Um, I wound up doing Channel 5, and that worked out great because the same production company wound up doing Channel 4. And then when the production company changed, I moved to the new production company. And, um, you know, it was like one way or another I was in that. And then because we never did the playoffs um, in 2007, BBC came to me and said, you know, do you have a contract for the playoffs? And I said, I don't even have a contract for the games. <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, me, the, the guys at Sunset and Vine and I just had an arrangement and, and, um, and that was it. And, and so I did, I started doing Super Bowls for the BBC and, and uh, the London, eventually the London games live. And, and that all worked out, you know, has worked out really well. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, and, and one of the nice things too, is that, um, I've continued to do that with the BBC, even though um, O.C. and Jason have the have the twice weekly show, uh, which is great. And they do a tremendous job on that. And, you know, I, I like the way that when I come in, we, we fit together and Mark Mark Chapman's a great host and, and makes that easy. But, um, you know, I like really like working with those guys. And um, instead of feeling like a third wheel, I, they make me feel like I'm part of a you know, part of the, uh, what has three wheels, the tricycle. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but you know what, you know what I mean? I think it, it, yeah, just yeah. See, it, it, it comes off seamless and, and, um, I'm just really happy to be doing that with those guys and, you know, and, and on BBC since 2007, a part, it went to channel four for two years and I did that for four as well, luckily enough. And, um, apart from the Denver Baltimore game in New York, all of those Super Bowls have been good games. Um, some of them have been among the greatest Super Bowls ever, a number of them actually, but they've all been close competitive games um, and really interesting ones. And I just think that's tremendous because, you know, really up to that point, 
you don't have a steady stream of great Super Bowls. You have you, you have a lot of one-sided or halfway one-sided games and some really good ones, you know, mixed up together. But Super Bowls for a long time were kind of like FA Cup finals. You know, they they didn't match up to the hype of the game. Um, and you had the sort of sense that the teams were kind of restricted by the hype. But we've just had a run of great Super Bowls. Mm, for sure, it's um, and luckily enough, the the Patriots being of one of them that you know well, there was I looking really, say, I really gave you one a nice segue, there. didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, it was looking one sided, as you say. There were there has been, I mean, from my memories, um, serve me right, your, um, there wasn't that many up until what's that, maybe the last five years or so that we've actually started to get exciting games and it's maybe part of the reason why between yourselves and Jason and OC and Mark etc that you know we're starting to see the game the game over here grow exponentially possibly yeah well you know I think I think that the um their show is a good part of that but I also think their show benefits from the fact that we've got the live games in London and that's attracted attention because it was known for years that that was the ideal plan. I mean, not the live games to start off with, but foot NFL tried for a long time to get a show in a decent time slot. Um, and originally there was one years ago that I was going, this is true. The proposal was me, Ginger Spice, Martin O'Fire, uh, a guy who used to play for the Dolphins called Jamie Nails who was a huge tackle. I mean, and by huge, I mean huge. And some guy whose name I can't remember, who was the doctor on one of the, on, on one of the morning TV shows. Um, and not my doctor, who was the doctor on another morning TV show. <laughs> but um, what happened there was that the guy in charge at um, the channel that was going to commission it moved to another channel. And the whole thing just fell apart because that's kind of the way commissioning works sometimes is you get one person who's keen on an idea and they can see the process through. But I, I was quite looking forward to, you know, it was sort of explained to me that I would be in more or less the Stato role. And mm -hmm. if you remember the the um, the football show with um, David Baddiel and. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> What's his name? Um, uh, Frank Skinner, was it? Frank Skinner, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I was going to be the sort of Stato character. And I figured, I figured being Stato to Ginger Spice's Frank Skinner would probably be a pretty good gig. It, it sounds like a bizarre sort of, you know, if you pick five people to be at your dinner party sort of idea. That, it it that was. It really was. Um and oddly enough, Martin had auditioned when um, when Colin Murray left Channel Five. Martin had auditioned for that, but didn't didn't get the gig to be the host um, uh, to re to replace Colin because Colin, if you remember, did one year and then basically left after one game. I think of the second year. Um, for for a better offer i have this way of turning guys into stars you know it's it's really it's really strange how you know martin bayfield for example he was one of the people who did some of the replacing um that year and that was martin's first gig in tv i was nat's for nat coombs's first gig in tv um and uh you know martin did a great job on the last world cup uh rugby nick 
um, and uh, Nat, of course, has gone on to, you know, to great things. Um, and, you know, and, and nicely, we've been we continue to do things together, which I really like. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, you know, he's uh, someone else that, you know, when I think of yourself, I automatically think of him, really, because to me that you two go hand in glove almost, uh, I think. Laurel and Hardy, sort of. Yeah. I wasn't going to downplay it too much, but, you know, you said it, not me. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, Mike, forgive me if I'm wrong. I've always kind of just had this idea in my head. I don't know if it's because of the the Belichick Association or whatnot and, you know, where you grew up in in the States. uh, Are you a Patriots fan or as what I've heard one commentator say, you know, when when you started a job like you do in in the professional side of things, you leave your allegiances at the door and, you know, you just get down to business. That's pretty much true. Um, and when I was a kid growing up in New England, the New York Giants were basically New England's team, um, especially in southern Connecticut, where I, where I grew up. Um, and that was emphasized by the fact that the games would be blacked out on New York television, but you could get them on the CBS affiliate in Hartford, Connecticut. So literally thousands of New Yorkers would get in their cars when there was a Giants home game and drive up the Merritt Parkway and find these motels along the, well, along the Berlin Turnpike, which was an extension of the same road. And they would just, you know, check in the motel for the day so they could watch the game on TV from Hartford. But I was, I was never a fanatic Giants fan. Um, And when the AFL came along, I got really interested in the San Diego Chargers uh, back in the glory days of John Hadle and Lance Allworth and Kate Lincoln and Big da- um, er- Ernie Ladd and um, Earl Faison and you know mostly because of the players and the, the style of football Sid Gilman the coach and um, and then I lived in Montreal for a couple of years and I became a pretty big Al- Alouettes fan in the CFL but when I basically you write about the local connection. Uh, because I'm from New England and the Patriots, but it was more it was more really following before Bill when Raymond Barry, who'd been one of my favorite players growing up, um, was the coach. I started to get really interested in the Patriots again um, and uh, and then ha- having known Bill in college and we played lacrosse together um, my last year in college, his first year. Um, that seemed like a natural tie in. And I've always been a big Boston Red Sox fan, a big Boston Celtics fan, um, perversely a Montreal Canadiens hockey fan. <laughs> but but in football, I was never that that rabid a fan of a team. Um, partly, I think, too, because growing up, my big team was Yale, Yale University, um, where my grandfather would go to the games all the time and, and sneak me in with him and my uncles and my my father and um so that was and then and then between playing and keeping busy at that and then living in Montreal where you didn't see so much and then moving over here I wasn't you know my my actual knowledge of a period from about 19 pro football from about 1972 or so till about nine you know for about a decade until it came back on TV here is somewhat limited because I would listen to occasional games on armed forces radio and watch games when I went back to the States, but I didn't follow the league the way that I did once it came back, came on to television here 
um, you know, and, and started being a thing. And then I guess I was at enough distance from my mediocre playing career um, to sort of get back into it on a, on a large on a large scale, uh, which turned out to be, you know, a good thing. And then for me, NFL Europe was such a huge um, benefit because I just learned so much from the coaches and some of the players and and from being that close to everything there. You had, you know, you had amazing access, um, which you don't get in the NFL to um, to players and coaches, to to being out on the practice fields, that kind of thing. I I just learned an awful lot about about the game uh, from them. Oddly enough, I was on vacation with my son in the States and we stayed in Philadelphia overnight with a, a guy I played with in college and for somehow he had some game tape that he had got. I'm not sure why um, or how, but he had game tape. And, and then he said, do you want your son to see how really bad you were? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't need to. I've seen that tape. Said, I played, <laughs> I played four years of football and, university and nobody no coach ever once said to me sink your hips (laughs) (laughs) and when i watched myself blocking i just said oh my god you know because i'm i'm going in like half straightened up and i said i don't know how i even moved anybody but (laughs) and uh, for anyone that's not familiar with what you've said there the the, you know the the great rivalry between montreal and in Boston is why you've mentioned the, oh, the yeah. perverse nature of it. And um, so moving on to the actual Patriots um, preseason, what, and uh, and I just want to touch on the, the draft briefly as well. What did you think of the, the Patriots overall draft? Because most people seem to think they've, they've come out of it really well this year. And I guess if you want to in, include some of the undrafted guys in there as well as part of the this year's yeah. class. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, you know, I always I always look at what they do with sometimes with a kind of question mark because um, they're they're sometimes moving up for guys that I don't understand why they move up. Um, they probably know better than I do if someone else has their eye on them. And one of the interesting things this year, of course, is that there are now so many. Well, not so many, but there are a number of organizations that are Patriot um, based, you know, Miami, Tennessee, Detroit, probably mm-hmm. Houston. Um, and certainly they're, uh, they're pro personnel guys and ex jets guys. So he knows what the Patriots um, are up to they, that. They probably have a good idea of what people do, but I thought they had a, they had a really good draft considering that they, you know, went in the, first round for a wide receiver but it was somebody who i thought fit what they needed particularly well especially with gronk retiring because you know their offense is built around mismatches trying to identify and and you know create mismatches through formation mostly so harry's the kind of wide receiver who could conceivably do that you know create those kind of mismatches and um it's also interesting, you know, last year it was Isaiah Wynn was the first pick and he missed the entire season injured. Harry starts the season on injured reserve, although they um, they can bring him back. Uh, they did one of these. Uh, they cut they cut um, Demarius Thomas 
kept Harry on the roster. And then as soon as the rosters were fixed, they uh, put Harry on IR so they could bring him back, which you can't do if you put him on IR before the rosters are fixed and then re-signed Thomas. So um, if Thomas plays as well as he did in the last game of the preseason, they should be set at wide receiver. Although tight end remains a question mark. They're loaded at running back. Um, The offensive line's now a question mark, despite having drafted, um, again, injuries. uh, Kajust has has not played in preseason. Froholt is going on IR. So the two rookies, which is why they went out and traded for three interior linemen. Um, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if Pig Bodine, um, which is the nickname I gave him after a character in a Thomas Pynchon novel, um, <laughs> it could call him Jethro Bodine, which was the guy from the Beverly Hillbillies. Um, <laughs> but um, I wouldn't be surprised if he wounds up starting uh, in some at some point because Ted Karras um, is capable but small um, and. Again, against some of the teams in that in their division, especially like Buffalo, you've got some big guys over center. Uh, and I just wonder how Karras will cope with that. Um, but, you know, I, I thought when you looked at the whole draft and when when I do like a sheet on the Patriots draft, it becomes this impossible to read complicated thing where there's arrows going all across it and boxes around and then an arrow down to here because they're they're trading picks they're this year they traded a pick and then traded to get it back uh the 101st pick in the draft um you're talking about guys from previous drafts who've already been playing you know um so that when you evaluate their draft you kind of have to evaluate the people they've used the picks to acquire um and it becomes that much that much uh, better so when you you know after next year's draft you're going to look at the 10 or whatever guys they wind up taking but you're also going to have to put Illuminor and Cunningham and Bodine in that group because Mm -hmm. they've used their draft picks for those guys and and people say oh god you know you give up a a fourth round draft pick for Illuminor well next year's draft in the fourth round will they get a guy with that potential and, you know, and a bit of experience um, who's still only 24. So, you know, you get guys coming out of college who are 23 as a matter of course. So, you know, I, I, I think that they've handled it pretty well. They're, they've got their flaws about 10 years ago. I think I did a roundup of their draft trying to figure out if there was a pattern to it. And the one pattern was there was no pattern. Um, but they do have weak spots in some evaluations and, cornerback has been one of them uh, wide receiver has been another and i've got this kind of nagging feeling that part of that is that those are probably the main individual talent natural talent positions in football and you can you can compensate for not having the physical ability but less so um, than you can at, at most positions. So they've tried to get guys who have that physical ability as well. Bigger. It used to be they wanted smaller corners who could um, who could shift their hips well. And if you look, they they always had low numbers in in the those kind of the drills that indicate that. 
Um, now they want big corners like like everybody does, who long corners who can stay with those bigger receivers and and get downfield. Um, but you know, if you look at the second round picks going back to what was his name, Raz Raz Idowling, um, guys like that who've been busts. A lot of their receivers. Um, who were size speed kind of guys. None of them were able to kind of pick up the complicated reads that they require from their receivers. They have to be able to, to tell whether the defense is a zone or man to man and be able to run a different pattern, break off their route and run a different route. And a lot of guys find, have trouble adjusting to that sort of thing. Um, But otherwise, yeah, I, I mean, I thought the draft was, was a really good one. Um, their undrafted class, I thought was phenomenal for a, for a Super Bowl winning team, because I don't know how you talk guys into coming there. <laughs> if you're undrafted and your agent says, Hey, I want you to go to Patriots. Now this is the, this is the team with the best, you know, the best team in the NFL, theoretically the hardest roster to crack. But the reality is they, they always wind up taking undrafted guys. I think partly because it helps their, um, their um, salary cap situation, um, mm-hmm. but partly because they they feel they can they can coach them up. And I thought there were half a dozen guys this year who who I thought had a realistic chance to contribute. Um, you know, and in the end, um, one I didn't even consider because they hadn't signed him until after a tryout. Well, after the draft was Olszewski. But um, Jacoby Myers, I thought was, you know, was a good was a good uh, prospect. Gauthier, the the center from uh, Miami, I thought was a good prospect. Um, Brosette, I thought was Brandon Bolden too, but but he didn't wind up um, cracking the roster. Um, in the the uh, what's the guy's name? Um, he did make the um, practice squad. Um, Gant the um, Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, safety. Um, I I thought he was uh, uh, another good one. Um, Hall made the practice squad, the the linebacker. So um, you know, th- there were quite a few, quite a few decent players there. And um, I was a little surprised that when they put together the practice squad, they didn't bring one or two of the, two of them back. Um, especially a quarterback. I thought they would keep a quarterback on the practice squad. Because there are, there's only two on the roster, obviously. Um, but also w- look look out for um, Jerry Green, who they signed um, to the practice squad after he got he got cut by the um, well, who drafted him. Um, can't remember who drafted him, but but he's one of these kind of outside linebacker um, defensive end types. Uh, who played at Mississippi State. I really liked him in the draft. And uh, he was, if they hadn't taken Winovich, um, you know, I thought that this was a kind of guy in that same kind of group of, of players uh, who they might well be able to um, to pick up uh, in a later round. I, if I remember right, he went, oh no, somebody, I remember, somebody said um, he went with pick 199, the same pick that Brady um, got. So it was, it was the Colts um, who cut him. And uh, so, yeah, so I guess that that's probably a good a uh, a good evaluation uh, f- for them, you know, probably very good um, sort of be 
And, uh, and plus, oh, Bailey, they drafted a punter. Yeah, I you know I've seen that coming, I think. Yeah, everybody says you shouldn't. Well, you remember Bajork, Bajorquez or Bajorquez, the, who they signed last year, and then mm-hmm. the Bills claimed him off waivers when on the cutdowns. And I think the Bills just cut him. Um, so he would have been available. But, but Bailey sort of outkicked Ryan Allen in preseason, although – you you just you wonder you always wonder about that um when when the chips come down but um yeah everybody says you shouldn't waste draft picks on kickers because they're basically fungible which is true to an extent but when you think that the patriots drafted uh goskowski with a fourth and now bailey with a fifth um i guess if you know what you want and you see it it's probably worth the pick you know if you're tampa bay and you keep drafting kickers high and they keep they keep sucking that's something different yeah i think so it's um i mean the the browns have done something similar with um jamie gillen the the man from scotland that's yeah. got drafted and then you know he's obviously knocked out uh i can't remember um off the top of my head the his name but yeah the he's now taking the job in in cleveland i don't so. think was he was he drafted um, I think he was signed. But did it, I thought he was maybe the seventh, a seventh round pick for them. I honestly can't remember off the top of my head, Mike. Um, there's, but there, yeah, there's certainly. also the um, the Australian kid who, this year who they were trying to come up with a nickname for. Um, but and, you know, and you, then you get like the farce of the Bears kicking contest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I think the Falcons are going to go with Matt Bryant again. Uh, yeah, I think so. They were um, trying out two or three as well, weren't they? Yeah, well, because he, 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 he had that um, hamstring last year, which is why they... Mm-hmm. That's but right. now I guess he's back healthy. And um, what was the... Um, Wisnowski is the guy um, for the 49ers. Oh, yeah. Uh, and- um He's uh, he was drafted in the fourth round as a, as a punter. Uh, I'm just I'm and going back now looking at looking at a draft thing. Uh, let's see if I can see anyone else. Uh, but every year, every year there's always surprises every year, I guess. Yeah, it comes out of left field. And there was something you touched on there that I was going to ask you about was the Nikhil Harry and uh, Demarius Thomas back and forth sort of cut and uncut sort of thing. Is there seems to be an, a bit of a furore around Patriots fans of, you know, the the darling of this year's draft being the first uh, and taken in the first round and such like. And now he's hand, he's ended up on IR for at least six, seven weeks anyway. Um, do, do you think they've mismanaged him and his, his injuries that he apparently has? Do you, should he have played at all if they think they'd? Well, uh, what, I, I, don't, I don't think they've mismanaged him. Um, I, I don't think so either. I was just wanting to get your opinion on it. Because I don't think there's anything they could have done. Um, but it's one of the things. It's like DK Metcalf has been hurt. You know, these guys are so big and so well-muscled. They're like thoroughbreds. And, mm-hmm. and they're somewhat fragile, I think, in ter- terms of muscle. Because you're... Your, it's not so much the muscles as your connective tissues, the ligaments, the tendons aren't mm-hmm. designed to be carrying as much 
much weight as they're carrying and to move that fast. And I think they're kind of susceptible. Uh, Demarius Thomas has had his share of those kind of kind of injuries. But, you know, I think what they were doing was waiting for it. They didn't want to put him in while he was still rehabbing. Um, the rehabbing wasn't going very well for whatever reason. You know, if the team's medical people aren't good enough, that's another question. I'm not competent to kind of judge that. Um, but with Thomas, there was never any question when they cut him that he would resign um, because no one else can claim him. So they would have to approach him as a free agent. And if the Patriots had said, we're going to re, you know, we're going to resign you same deal, whatever, um, net tomorrow <laughs> after the deadline, he, he would do yeah. it. Um, so, you know, so I don't think they mismanaged it from that point of view. They, they obviously want him to play, which is why they've, they put him on the uh, returnable IR. Um, but you know, it, when you have a first round pick in a four year contract, you don't want to do anything that's going to ruin him in the first year. And and to be honest, it's an if, I think. that. But if Thomas looks as good as he did in the first game uh, and if Josh Gordon can stay with them for the whole season, then they're not in desperate need of a big receiver. It won't hurt when they get him back. But, you know, the, with Edelman um with Edelman coming along uh fine and I don't think he's actually you know I think he's probably perfectly healthy but they're just taking it easy taking it easy with him because why why rush or uh or risk an older an older receiver who's that important to you um and with Dorsett um looking pretty good you know it, it must be said that, that you know I think they're pretty well set at receiver um and then, you know, I don't know. I'm I've never been a huge Lance Kendricks fan. Um, and Ben Watson is I love Ben Watson, but Ben Watson's like almost as old as Brady. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and is he's not he's not as quick as Ben Watson made the greatest one of the greatest plays I've ever seen in the NFL when he ran down Champ Bailey in Denver on that interception that that Brady threw. And he knocked he knocked Bailey out and they put the ball at the one yard line. But I will swear and I've watched the replay that he knocked him into the pylon and out the other side, which meant that ball should have been a touchback. Yeah, um, I thought it completely. But if you, ta- you know, taking him out and, you know, wiped yeah, him out of the field completely. When, when you that. watch the replay, his run was just amazing. Um, if you ever. You know, it would be one of those things where if you could get it and, and telestrate it and your son said, Dad, what's the hypotenuse of a triangle? <laughs> you could say, well, <laughs> here's the line of scrimmage and here's Champ Bailey's return. And the hypotenuse is Ben Watson running him down um, from all the way across the field. It, it was just the perfect angle and, and an amazing bit of running for a 255 pound guy. Um, anyway, yeah. Next question. That, <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to digress a bit. Um, no, no, yeah. it's fine. I, 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 I enjoy the stories, and I'm sure the listeners will as well. So, um, yeah, the, don't don't fret too much about it. And you were, but you were speaking there, um, you know, about the Ben Watson and the tight ends, and they've obviously got Lacoste and Izzo on the the roster. But what I was um, going to ask you about was in regards Andrew Luck. 
with him retiring and the likes of Gronk and Calvin Johnson also retiring on or around the age of 30. Is, do you think this is going to become a new norm that's not so shocking that people get in and get get their money and get out with the way they take these hits and things? Or, you know, not everyone can play until they're, they're 50 like Vinatieri or, or Brady seem to be heading towards. Yeah, I mean, kickers are another situation. Um, but certainly the fact that the guys make enough money to, to be set for life um once they've once they've come out of their rookie contracts uh if they're that if they're that good um when jim brown retired at 29 he didn't have that security and he was making movies um and he might not have there's there's a kind of backstory to that because art modell tried to make him show up for training camp and I think he was filming the Dirty Dozen at the time, and he wasn't going to show up until he was done filming. And Modell made an issue of it, and so Jim Brown said, "Well, I'm going to retire then." And I don't think Modell believed him, but he did. But nowadays, when players are fixed, I don't even think you can say it's like getting the money and running. It's when all of a sudden the effort becomes too much and it stops being fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a, a kind of broad definition of fun, um, because it's, it is your job and all. Um, then I think they realize that it's probably better to get out than to risk further injury or do something that they no longer really enjoy doing. Although, you know, in the case of like Gronk or the case of Andrew Luck, I think you could say they want to, they would want to enjoy what they're doing. Um, and if they did, they, there's no way they would leave. And, you know, Gronk's body is broken down. Uh, he, you know, the Patriots only were able to draft him in the second round because his back injuries scared teams off and they were willing to take that chance. And, and um, I think with a guy like that, who's, again, carrying a lot of extra weight, not that it's artificial weight, but, you know, that he's, he's just a big, naturally big guy who, who's put on. Uh, put on pounds but watching him last season he was like you could see him having to sort of do a hop step in order to get up to speed um because he couldn't stretch out the, the his legs the way the way he'd want to and luck with those kind of recurring ankle foot injuries um and and not being able to rehab it and not quite knowing what's wrong i think he just needed he just needed a break from that constant rehab situation um, more, more than anything else. And he's a smart kid. Um, I remember when he was a little kid throwing footballs on the sidelines at London Monarchs games and stuff. And, you know, his father's a smart guy, Oliver, and um, Andrew is too. And he's got interests and um, he, I don't think he wants to be sort of pursuing those after football with a with a kind of creaky body that that's no longer any good. Now, I would not be surprised in the least if uh, Andrew Luck takes a season off and then comes back. And in the back of my mind is that thing he could play in the XFL where his dad's the commissioner, <laughs> um, you know, and but and I, I think that's a bit of a long shot, but but I wouldn't be shocked. And when people say Gronk will come back at midseason, it's a nice thought 
and you can see why people say it, but they were saying he'd come back, you know, after training camp or something, after he saved himself the the trouble of that. And and I think I think we may not be giving him enough credit for making his own decision there. Mm-hmm. Um and uh you know here's the scenario. If the Patriots do really well without him, he doesn't need to come back. <laughs> Um, if they don't do well, do you really want to come back to a team that's struggling? Um, you know, it's, yeah. so I don't, I don't see them coming back, but I think it, I think you're right that it will be more of a trend because players, unless they've, you know, unless they've managed their money very badly, which does happen, um, you know, won't need the money. And at some point the, <coughs> excuse me, the pain, the pain starts to outweigh the potential, glory and benefit um you know my favorite football movie is north dallas 40 and um the uh nick nolte character you know phil whatever whatever his name is the receiver is in such pain all the time but it's the joy of playing the game that helps him overcome that and and when the game stops being fun then you would expect he probably wouldn't be playing along there's that great line toward the end of the game when they when they've lost uh and uh the assistant coach is you know yelling at the players for reasons they'd lost and he gets in an argument with john matuzak who's playing a football player and twos twos says you know every time we call it a game you call it a business and every time we call it a business you call it a game mm-hmm. you know but, but we play because we love it you know and that kind of stuff um so yeah I yeah, forget what the um, question was now, but I think I answered it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did. And it was just, uh, I mean, I was maybe a bit flippant, to be honest, about saying get your money, get in, get out. But because, you know. But I think that is players... part of the thing. It, yeah, it's not like the 50s when the guys were playing because they needed the money. Um, you know, that's how they made, that's how they made their living. And even in the 50s, you know, like Chuck Bednarik was called Concrete Charlie, be, not because he, you know, was tough and hard as concrete, but because he worked selling concrete in the off season. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> and, you know, Chuck, Chuck Bednarik showed up at your business and said, Hey, buy this concrete. You say, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's obviously changed days from then and now in terms of the money and things, but something that's not to be sniffed at is obviously these uh, players, m- mental health. That's obviously taken a, a, a beat in you, you know, you're saying about, the grind of getting rehab and stuff. And I think everyone commenting on it generally are fans of the sport, which ultimately makes them jealous of these guys that, you know, a lot of them are younger than, you know, 20, 30 years younger than a lot of people watching the the game. And, you know, it's ultimate jealousy of, I want to be in that position. I would love to make all this money. What are you moaning about? You know, if I was making $25 million a year, then and so what if your foot's hurting you a little bit? But if you're getting to a stage like Gronk that you can only sleep 20 minutes a night because, you yeah. know, you took such a pounding in your leg that you've got to get fluid drained from it. Surely there are, there comes a point that you've just got to go, all right, hold on, you know, I'm being a bit of a so-and-so here. I'm not being very nice towards these professional athletes. Oh, yeah. When they were booing, when they were booing Andrew Luck in Indianapolis, it's like, you know, the, it's the ultimate what have you done for us lately kind of attitude. Um, I, I, I just can't see it. You know, the, these these guys, they're kids <laughs> to me, mm-hmm. but they're adults, you know, and, and they 
they should be allowed to make their decisions. You know, it's kind of like the the Jadavian clowny situation, mm-hmm. uh, because in one sense, and it's it's a sense that not many people have looked at, Clowney wound up doing what he thought and what realistically is the best thing for Jadavian Clowney. Now, that goes against the team ethos of football, which is in some ways the ultimate team game. Um, you know, it, it's it's a very, very difficult sport for one player to dominate. Um, but it's also when you're in the NFL, the team thing is a kind of one way street. Uh, you have to be loyal to the team and do what they want, but the team will cut your ass the moment that they find someone who can do your job cheaper. Yeah. Um, it, it's in that sense, it's the ultimate ca- capitalism. <laughs> um, and, and for Clowney, who obviously was, you know, was not getting along particularly well with Bill O'Brien and, and with the non-existent general manager um, of the team for Clowney, the choice between taking the franchise here with Houston or going to a team where he felt that his uh, skills would be better put on display in what, what is his free agency year. I think it was a very easy choice for him in, in that sense and um you know when you look at the Houston team especially defensively maybe he was worried about being in the shadow of JJ White and to an extent Whitney Merciless or maybe he was just convinced that they were never going to be more than a 9 and 7 team with um with Bill O'Brien in charge and when they tried to sort of hard nose him on a long-term contract um you know, I think he just decided to do what was best for himself, which included vetoing a what was probably a very likely trade to um, to Miami. You know, especially given what the Gulf Dolphins gave up um, for, um, or what they sorry, what the um, Texans gave up for Tunsil. Um, they the Dolphins were probably likely to get Clowney plus something for um, Tunsil and maybe Stills. Yeah, I think they've got to be selfish, ultimately, really. And I think a lot of people um, and fans of the teams forget that, that, you know, at the end of the day, it is a job. You've got to um, do what's best for yourself and whether that be staying with the team or going elsewhere. But as you say, it's a cutthroat business. You can be there, you can take your franchise tag one year, but, you know, six, nine, 12 months later, they'll think nothing. I'm just going, right, see you later. And you're on the scrap heap unless someone picks you up, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and with Clowney, I, I, if I, I would be very reluctant to have given him a long term contract um, because of his injury history, basically, and because of the fact that he's never produced like a top, a top line pass rusher. He's a fantastic athlete. Um, he's a really good football player, but but the production has always been slight been slightly off, with maybe one year as an exception. And this year, I think what they were gambling on was they would have him on the tag. He would play really well because it was a it was a free agency year. But um, I think uh, I think they handled it probably badly is the way to look at it. And one yeah. of the advantages from a Patriots point of view of being 
a Bill Belichick team is Bill's not a rah-rah guy like a lot of coaches are. The old college um, stuff, you know, like Pete Carroll is saying, Mike mm-hmm. Tom, Mike Tomlin to an extent, uh, and players like that, and they like playing for that too. Um, but when you go into New England, you kind of understand that this is a business, um, and you will, you know, you will be treated as part of the business. They try, I think, to, you know, to to do it as gracefully as they can. And you notice that they released a lot of their veteran free agents before they had to, which gives them a chance to kind of hook on to another team, um, you know, or through uh, in August rather than waiting for the for the deadline. But yeah, you know, it's a nice touch. Yeah, but it but it is you know it is a business, and they don't make they don't make any bones about it. So no one can kind of claim that they're that they've been um, they've been fooled or it's been misrepresented to them. You know. The, the players are there to do their job very, you know, very um, consciously. And um, they know they know that the name of the game is that, you know, everything, everything is um, nothing is is permanent in, apart from Tom Brady. Yeah, I, I always liken Belichick to Sir Alex Ferguson in that terms that, you know, you, you, know, you know what you're getting, a spade's a spade and he's not there to blow smoke up your ass sort of thing and make you feel better than they are than you are you'll just he'll just tell you if you're good you're good and if you're not you're not and i I think that's a good analogy and and i also think that one of the problems with some of the patriot alumni who've gone into the coaching is that they try to apply some of the moneyball principles of the belichick era or of the belichick style without understanding the sort of more total picture um, of how you keep the players on board with that. Uh, and now that, that might be, it might be personality, but it's, it's also obviously once you have, once you have a history of success, that history of success works in your favor when you're making the argument, you know? So it's like, no one's going to really argue with a guy who's won six Super Bowls that he's doing the wrong thing. Yeah. There may be a bit 50-50 with it. You know, you've got to go one way or the other and develop your own. Trying yeah, to I take. mean, yeah, I, at Houston, though the, the problems Houston has had in the last three weeks go back in large part to when they wouldn't re-sign Dwayne Brown at left tackle and he went to Seattle. Because I'm sure that Bill O'Brien... Um, and uh, Peter Gain, who was the, the GM there, but I'm sure O'Brien, you know, just didn't think it was worth paying that much money for the left tackle. Uh, so what that did was then create it created a huge hole, which they never filled, which is why they went after Laramie Tunsil now, um, mm-hmm. which meant it's really it's harder to afford a guy who on their team, at least, is always going to be a secondary pass rusher. I can't pay you the way I pay J.J. Watt because you're not J.J. Watt. And I can't afford to pay two J.J. Watts, even if you were. Yeah. And uh, I think um, there are ideas of maybe getting Nick Casario either in the offseason coming up or whenever is probably gone out the window because you're not, if you're, I don't know why they've done what they've done because any new GM coming in there for next year, they're, what third or third round is probably their earliest pick, and what can you do with that? 
it, it, almost nothing really. It's a good point. It's interesting to think whether this is a make or break year for Bill O'Brien or not, because, you know, on the one hand, he's arguably one of the top three coaches in the franchise history. Um, mm. Although I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to think now how many coaches they've had. <laughs> I mean, it's only, there's only four. Yeah. Um, so O'Brien is probably maybe the most successful coach in the team's history. Um, and I think, he, you know, he's the only one who's got a winning record or, or just barely. He might be about 500. Um, but, you know, they've got division championships with him. Um, so, um it, it was probably a make or break year to get over that kind of nine and seven uh, fighting for the division at the end of the season with 10, you know, every year kind of situation. But um, right now with, with what they're, the problems they've had with luck being gone from Indianapolis, I'm liking my pick of Tennessee to pick, win the division a lot. <laughs> mm. Although That's they are something the, nice incoming. Yeah, and you know, and the first few weeks are going to tell us a lot about that division, um, because Jacksonville, Jacksonville starts off with, with like four big games in a row, and if they can win three of them, that's gonna, it's gonna set their, um, I think they've got the Chiefs at home this week, and then they, and then they play, they play Houston and. Tennessee in the next two weeks. So if they can mm. come out of that, if they come out of that three and zero, um, that's going to send a real message around that that division. Yeah, that's huge for them. And um, mo- moving on um, to, it's obviously NFL 100 this year. And and moving on to yourself and um, a bit more Patriots chat again. What for yourself, Mike? Um, with it being NFL 100 year, have you lined up any special projects for yourself or anything you're concentrating on for your Patreon column? Is TalkSport um, going to be a thing this year again? Well, not um, for not for me so far. Um, I'm not booked into TalkSport at this point. Um, well, more fool than Mike. So, uh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what the story is. What the story is there? Although I think Nat's still doing the um, the Saturday early game, the Jags the Jags game when when it's um, available. Um, Gridiron Magazine is doing quite a few uh, anniversary kind of pieces, and I've just I just finished one for them about the um, um, the greatest ten greatest games in NFL history. Uh, which, as I point out in the introduction to the piece, when I was researching it, and you know, I, I made a list of about 25, and I could have probably made a list of about 50. And mm. although the top kind of three or four were pretty well set in my head, um, you know, if you had put the one I had at 25 uh, at 10, you, I wouldn't argue. You know, it's how do you tell the difference between between a lot of a lot of great games and. Um, but otherwise, my my Patreon column uh, will I'll be picking all the games starting what's today Tuesday so starting Thursday with the uh, the Bears Packers game and uh, that goes every week and I'll I will be sticking some features in but not actually nothing special for the hundredth because I kind of do that stuff anyway um, mm-hmm. 
I might write something, which I was doing for a book I was writing, but that's that's sort of in abeyance at the moment. But um, the first game I remember, the first NFL game I remember watching is the 1958 championship game. And um, I was allowed to sit in with the men and watch it uh, up in my own, one of my uncles, my aunt Edna's place, because, again, the blackout, we had moved north to see the game. And it was like all these guys, you know, smoking, drinking highballs uh, all, all through the all through the game. If you had if you had been an if a man had walked in to watch it wearing a replica Colts jersey or replica Giants jersey, they would have looked at him like he was from another planet. You know, adults mm-hmm. didn't adults didn't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> they were they were watching a game. My dad played in college against Andy Robustelli, who was one of the stars for the the Giants at defensive end. So, um, you know, so it had that kind of that kind of one degree of separation, personal stuff. Um, and I, I can remember that. I I don't really remember much else um, from watching it. And I've read read and watched so much about it. I worked with Frank Gifford a number of times at ABC, so he talked about it one time and um you know i so it's one of those things where they're not your memories they're just they're just things that have been implanted in there after the actual event but what i do remember is that when it was all over uh and it was dark outside obviously because it was december and there was snow on the roads and there was snow everywhere else because it was a cold day in new york and you know, my father had been drinking all afternoon and piled my mother and us into the back, into the car. And the three of us were in the back seat, standing up, <laughs> doing the stuff kids do in the days before seatbelts and and mm-hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. And, you know, nobody thought twice about it. <laughs> yeah. Here's this drunk guy, drunk guy driving on the snowy on the snowy roads um, with uh, what was I seven? So seven and two four year olds in the back seat. that was just the way it was (laughs) crazy to think of that now eh? yeah there was something something kind of nice about that but um yeah i'm still looking around for someone who who would want me to do a kind of 10 moments in nfl history or something like that um you know afl one the odd the one game i put into the 10 greatest games i'll give it a little away that you probably wouldn't see on any of the other lists um, is the, and the only one that I don't remember is the 1950 game between the Browns and the Eagles. The the first game of the NFL season that year, which was also the first game for the Browns coming off four straight championships of the all American football conference against the Eagles, who were the two time defending champion NFL champs and the Browns routed them in that game, 30, 35 to 10 um and that's one of those games it wasn't a great game i don't think um i've never actually seen it but its importance was huge um and and nobody kind of includes it in with the you know the jets winning this the third super bowl or 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 games like that 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 you know made a real impact in in the league but uh that was probably the game that that cemented the cleveland browns and paul brown's legacy as, as a great coach well, I was going to ask you about um, some of your favourite memories and highlights over the years, but I think it's better if we just direct people to next month's issue of Gridiron um, to read that. For yeah, themselves. they can check that out. I, you know, I'll, I'll be happy if you want 
uh, later on in the season to come back and talk about that kind that kind of thing. Um, but I get the feeling you're at the point now where you've got too much material for one um, one pod anyway. And and my my Patreon site, which is uh, you just go to Patreon.com. It's Mike Carlson FMTE, which is Friday morning tight end, which was the name of my column at NFLUK.com, where I used to pick the game. So I just kept the name and um, that that's up. And it's, it's been running even in the off season. I did. Pr- rundowns off-season rundowns of all the teams uh and i put up the odd book review or obituary or whatever and um that'll start picking the games on thursday and then friday will be the other the other uh, fifth uh, the other 15 games will be picked on friday well, i had quite a good year last year which i shouldn't mention because it's probably jinxing me this year but um it's a tough business picking games mm. I did a, an NFL.com uh, picking with um, a group of guys last year, and I won mine. I think. There you go. I got, I got something. I'm sure something ridiculous, like 74% of the predictions. 74% right? is phenomenal because and, there's a website called Pickwatch, NFL Pickwatch in the states, which tracks all of the pundits, and they don't track me. <laughs> Patreon's a subscription site. And, and yeah. But um, if they did, I would be I would have been, I think, fourth last year, third or fourth. And I did 67 percent because I I thought I'm honestly I might have just picked that number out of my head. But out of someone else, you know, I mentioned but it was I only got I'm not challenging Yeah. You know, because the difference between the guy who won the guy who was the best, I'm trying to remember whether it was Sam Farmer from the LA times or Elliot Harrison. It's funny though. The same people tend to be better year in and year out. Um, mm. And I've tended to be always in the top, say five or six or would yeah. be. Um, but the difference between, you know, the winner and the guy who's in sixth place is probably is only three or four games over a, over a 16, an 18 week season, a 16 game season. You know, mm-hmm. so it doesn't take much. If you if you got say five games right that that um, I didn't, you'd probably be four or five percentage points ahead um, in the end. You know, and and uh, even a big margin can work out to just being one game a week. You know, mm. when you think of how many games are close in the NFL, there's a certain amount yeah. of luck that goes into it too. Because there was even one week I got all predictions right, and on the website, on the NFL.com website, even says that you know weekly prizes for pickums and everything. I end up emailing them, going, "Surely I've got to win something because I've got every single one right and didn't hear back." No, they should have given you a franchise for that. Yeah. So no. Anyway, um, before I let you go, Mike, so I think I've um, taken up uh, enough of your time as it is already. I just wanted to um, quickly get your thoughts on the the Patriots for the season going ahead. Do you see them going uh, another Super Bowl? And if so, who do you think they could be up against? Well, in in a strange way, I think they could come up with a better record this year, but maybe not do as well. It's hard to see them not winning the division. But, you know, there are some warning signs. Um, And Gronk, Losing Gronk is the biggest one because not only is he the mismatch nightmare, but he's also been Brady's go-to receiver, um, most dependable one in in those kind of situations. Even even if he is double teamed, and if you think back to just last year's playoffs, it 
it, that's kind of obvious. And and his presence made Edelman in particular more effective. Uh, so I, I think that's a huge one to overcome. They've got two new starters on the offensive line, which is a problem. Defensively, you think you would think they're going to be better this year. Um, I do still wonder about not having somebody in the second level to cover receivers. Um, Jamie Collins has the talent to cover receivers, but when he was with the Patriots before he didn't quite have the concentration to cover receivers. Um, and you think back to like the Seattle playoff games and him getting beaten on wheel routes um, with, with a kind of shutter, but they've got a deep young secondary, which should be, which should be really good and good enough to let Keon cross and go. Who, I thought showed an awful lot of promise last year. Um, so I, I think Buffalo is the only team that's going to give them problems in the division. And I think they can probably slow the Bills offense down. The Bills are going to be a really good defensive team, but they were a really good defensive team last year. And nobody quite noticed because they were too busy watching Josh Allen for um, the mistakes he made or whatever. Um I wonder, and and this first game against Pittsburgh is going to be a a real um, a real challenge because with a new coaching staff, half their coaching staff almost left. And remember, Bill has small coaching staffs. So with a, with a new coaching staff, um, especially defensively, it's going to be it's going to be a, um, a wait and see with how well they adjust. And Pittsburgh, of course, is a really good offensive team with a good offensive line. Um, if one other receiver can step up and with Juju and if Connor can have the kind of year he had last year, um, they're a challenge defensively. Um, I think you have to pick the Patriots in the first week because they're at Foxborough and and it is the Steelers. But but this will tell this is a game I think will tell you a lot about the Patriots and you know, not not doom and gloom, but, what, you know, for the last three years, the Patriots have taken a good number of weeks to kind of get themselves together and find out what time, kind of a team they are. And then once they do that, they start to they start to play really well, which is, you know, and they've been they've really been doing that all all through the Belichick era. They they've always been a really good defensive team unless they play Miami. I'm sorry, December team, unless it's December. <laughs> In Miami, um, which is the exception. So I was picking them for the division. I was just thinking that this year they may not get through the playoffs. Um, they've got the competition will be the Chiefs, obviously, in the West. I think the Chargers are going to have a few problems, but they'll still be a decent team. Um, I'm not worried about whoever comes out of the AFC South as a as a long playoff runner. I think Pittsburgh has the potential to be a long playoff runner. Baltimore does as well, but but that's a kind of wait and see. And Cleveland is going to be a wait and see. They've certainly got the talent to be a, a dangerous team, but how they how Freddie Kitchens reacts to actually now being the head coach, as opposed to just being the offensive coordinators who's able to see things that that Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson were unable to see, like reality. Um, you know, will will make a big difference. So I picked when I had to pick the um, season. I picked the Chiefs to win the AFC. Um, I picked the Saints to win the NFC. 
and I don't think a Saints Chiefs Super Bowl is an unreasonable prediction. Um, but I would probably say I would probably say the Patriots are good for a second seed in this one. Um, and and you know and the point is that once you're in the playoffs, all bets are off. Um, you know, and if you're the Patriots, um, you can game plan teams better than most teams do. In fact, when people, one of the reasons the Patriots dominate their division so much is that they know their opponents so much mm-hmm. and, and therefore they, they game plan for them. And I'm firmly of the belief that if the Super Bowl were a one week, a one week, um, gap between the the uh, conference games and the Super Bowl that the Patriots would be much harder to beat because when you give a team two weeks they come up with ways to play the Patriots but in one week I don't think there's any team in football that that can adjust to an opponent the way the Patriots do um you know maybe the Eagles when they had both Peterson and Reich um but otherwise you know I don't know if there's anybody who adjusts week in and week out the way that they do no, I think you're right. I think uh, there isn't really anyone that adjusts like they do, and I don't think your predictions are are far off. It's I had the Colts all off season until the Andrew Luck um, story broke. I I expected them to be big challengers this year. Um, I was on the Cleveland hype train for a while, but I think I've derailed off of that because I do wonder if. You know, as you're saying about Freddie Kitchens being the actual head coach now, can he keep that locker room in check more than, you know, there's talent there, but is talent going to override what ultimately they need to do? And, you know, it's follow rules from the boss and follow, you know, plans and such like. And I think they could be too freewheeling and, and fall off. You know, they're not, they might make the playoffs, but not actually yeah. get much past the, yeah, the wild finally- card round sort of thing. Yeah, funnily enough, I picked them for an eight and eight season last year or seven. I said they'd win seven or eight games. And that was when Hugh was coaching them. So, I mean, mm. it, and, and they're a more talented roster now than they were. Uh, but, you know, I think, as you say, there's there's some strong personalities there that have to buy into what what Freddie's doing. And I, I think I love Freddie Kitchens. I thought what he did last year was absolutely amazing and, you know, and just showed you what a what a smart guy can do. And, and, you know, and it's not like he's a genius or anything, but he said, look, I've got Baker Mayfield. What can I do to make, make him more effective? I've got Nick Chubb. Why is he only getting two carries a game? Um, You know, and (laughs) you know, it it wasn't rocket science, but, but he, um, he recognized where the team could improve quickly and, and he implemented that. And, you know, so I think he deserved a lot of, um, a lot of credit. Um, but this, I think, as you say, that's going to be a challenge for him. Mm, definitely. Well, Mike, it's been an absolute blast um, speaking to you this afternoon. I'll let you go. But just before you go, remind everyone where they can find you on Twitter and on Patreon, etc. Yeah, the, the Twitter feed is at Carlson Sports or Carlson's Ports, if you want to look <laughs> at it that way. Um, all one word. Um, be warned, there's there's quite a bit of non-football stuff on the um on the twitter feed and and people sometimes get irritated by that if it's if it's political or or whatever but um i enjoy it (laughs) thank you i appreciate that but you know it's like um 
in social media exists for more than pictures of your latest dinner. Um, and <laughs> and uh, the Patreon site, as I said, is patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson FMTE. And um, you'll find you'll find the weekly game weekly game picks there. And I've been doing I've been doing some betting picks for Betfair. So if you look at Betfair, um, I'll be picking uh, I think it probably four four games a week uh, with you know sort of best bet and uh, long shot and that that kind of thing. And I did I did an extensive preview of the NFL season for them, uh, both a podcast and a written one. So that's up at the Betfair Betfair site. And I did a shorter one for the American Magazine, which you can go to their website, which I think is American magazine.co.uk or but it's a magazine that's for the expatriate audience or expat expatriates yeah in um in the uk and um uh, it's three full pages of their magazine which is available online you can sort of scroll the pages as if you were reading it uh, which is kind of cool all right okay well perfect mike thank you very much again uh, it's very much appreciated uh you spend some time with me this afternoon i'll let you go and we'll catch up during the season at some point if that's all right okay great thanks so much and that was iron mike carlson um i did have the idea of splitting this into two episodes but i just thought what the hell i'll give you all the episode in a one hour and hopefully you've listened right through and you're still listening to my voice right now um, as you can probably tell, um, at the start of the episode, it was just myself. Um, I'm just quickly doing this because, you know, I'd like to get this out to your ears for your listening pleasure. Um, there is stuff coming up this week with myself and Nick later on that you would be um, a ride to miss. I think that's the right expression. Um, so yeah, just the usual housekeeping before we leave, just same as at the start. Remember to rate, review and subscribe. And until next time folks, just remember to do your job as there are no days off.